1: Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics by honest conversations. And this week we're going to be looking at family with Julia Samuel, MBE. Um, and actually, her book, which I'm going to show to camera now, um, Every Family Has a Story, is the reason I'm feeling a bit tired today, <laughs> because I've stayed up two nights in a row reading way way past my bedtime it's, it's absolutely brilliant and we'll talk about that more in depth in a minute if you don't know julia she's a leading british psychotherapist and the author of sunday times bestsellers this too shall pass and grief works during the last 30 years she's worked first for the nhs and then for private practice and she's found a patron of child bereavement uk and a vice president of the british association for counseling and psychotherapy her latest book uh, yeah draws on a variety of families and sessions she's had with them and she analyzes common issues um, from loss to leaving home to separation to step relationships and shows us how they pass from one generation to the next it's absolutely fascinating i'm trying to work out if it appeals to the nosy neighbor in me because you get to hear about other people's families or just because you can draw on it for yourself or a bit of both So without further ado, let's get cracking. I always like to start with three quite easy questions. How are you really? What star sign are you? And what's your favourite crisp? (laughs) So um, how am I really? I do
0: feel a bit kind of punched by the news that Russia has done a full assault onto the Ukraine.
1: Um. and.
0: I guess we knew it was coming, but that feels scary and unknown, and I'm fed up with unknown. Um, And my favourite, oh, my star sign is Virgo. September. Yes. Mm -hmm. So a bit of a perfectionist, but I'm not actually. But um, anyway, and I'm a twin, and my twin brother is very different to me, so I always wonder about the star signs. Um, But I was born five minutes after him. And then the, my favourite crisps are any crisp. <laughs> but I guess salted vinegar favourite flavour if I have to
1: choose. You to. Yeah, crisps are just really excellent, aren't they? <laughs> and they're so good for you. <laughs> <They do. laughs> Not at all Moorish. No. So to give the listener some context, could you explain how the the set up of the book really and and how you you yeah you came to get the sources of information in them
0: so i mean i'm fascinated by my own family from you know what i didn't learn from my parents what they didn't tell me the secrets and the mm. stories that were left unsaid um and as a parent trying to negotiate being a parent and now a grandparent so kind of knowing myself and knowing my own family is Um, has been incredibly important to me, but also any client that has ever walked through my door in the last kind of over 30 years has always talked about their family, whether it's their family of origin, the family they're in and the family they're making. So, you know, I really believe families, when they work, are the bedrock of our lives and when they don't work at the sort of far end of the bad spectrum, because I think families, you know, they're always... um, kind of functioning or dysfunctioning depending on what's going on externally so if you know if there's a sudden crisis somebody dies or someone loses their job or they have a health diagnosis all the kind of default lines of in families get played out so I don't think you're I think families are always kind of under pressure and they seek homeostasis and really it depends on their coping behaviors of how they manage those difficulties But the thing I had never seen properly written about, although there is increasing research about, was multi-generation families. So I had worked with families with parents and their kids, um, but I had never worked with a family with a grandmother, their adult daughter, and their kind of 20-year-old child. Mm. And I felt that... We inherit so much of our behaviors, our beliefs, our values, our ways of being. Our way, you know, everything that we learn about relationship, we learn in our childhood and gets played out in every aspect in our adulthood. In, in, in adulthood, in work, in fun, in sex, in uh, friendships, in close relationships, all of that is formed in our childhood. So, I mean. Mm. To me, there isn't a subject that is more interesting, more complex or more important. So, you know, I jumped in one. <laughs> Yeah,
1: Yeah. And I love the byline on it, which is a history of connection as, as well as wounds and hurt. And that just summarizes it completely, doesn't it? it it's so intrinsically makes us who we are both externally and internally. And I loved when I first went into researching these questions is that idea that I haven't I have a concept of what family is, but that's only based on on my family because and my experience and and no two people's version of that is going to be the same. That is absolutely
0: right. So that we you can have a family that is sort of thought of as a traditional kind of nuclear family with, you know, a couple that are together with their kids. But you can have a family that is a polyamorous family, you can have a blended family, you can have a family that um, is a single-parent family, and you can have a family that is made up of friends, that feels like family, that you, family mm. that you choose, and not family that is blood relation. And I think actually one of the – I'm talking too much already, but anyway, I think I one of it. the things that came out for me from the book was that we've put so much emphasis on blood relations, on our genetics – um, and through my work with the, the Wynn family, where the Ivo, the, the the man who came to see me, found that his biological father wasn't his father he was brought up by, and also the adopting family, the Sing and Kelly family, when they adopted a child, and the step families, was that actually... It's the love and connection that we have to each other that makes our family. It's our investment Mm -hmm. in that relationship. It's the importance and significance of that relationship that makes them family. And if there is a genetic blood tie, that is part of it. But actually, if there isn't, I don't think there's a hierarchy of what is more family or less family. And, you know, I think that comes from old dated kind of beliefs about inheritance of kings and uh, mm. land and bloodlines blood um, which don't seem quite so relevant to us in no. the 21st century
1: no and it's true because it, that can devalue some non-blood relationships and also put an awful lot of pressure on blood relationships you know that that just because you share this own gene pool there's some magical connection between you that there might not be and yeah it's the people that we collect in our life to be our family for whatever reason all all shape us equally, I think.
0: Yeah, and the, exactly. I mean, you know, a third of sibling relationships barely have a relationship. So they may be. True? Yeah. So they may well be kind of genetically bound. But, you know, people often say you don't choose your family and you may find yourself. And normally I do think it's the environment that you're brought up in that creates those sibling rivalries or those difficulties Mm. um but you you know one of the things that often happens in families is this thing of difference that you can feel like an outsider in your own family you can feel like you're the one that isn't known in your own family and then what you do with that will either estrange you from your family or i hope if you can communicate bring you closer
1: Yeah. But it's this interesting thing that you always feel that you're the only only one in that situation, whereas the chances are for uh, yeah most of you or all of you could be having a similar reaction. It's just in, until it's spoken out loud, you'd never know.
0: That's really true, and I and I think I think we sort of know this now, but it's still um, often not thought about when we're with our family. Is that you know five of you can be in the same room witnessing the same um event and you'll agree on the date and the time and what and who is in the room but your experience of it will be five different experiences which if you wrote them on the page you may not even recognize them so <laughs> and then you'll it's fight so about true. who is right and who is wrong but actually you need to allow all of those different perceptions and so one of the things that i Really learned and enjoyed so much about working with these multi generation families is that it opened up these conversations that allowed different narratives. And they weren't competing narratives, they were narratives Mm. that were adding to each other's understanding of who they were as a family and expanding their connection with each other because they went, Oh, is that why you were like that? Oh, I get it.
1: fascinating because yeah you you could especially when you've got something which is injected with vast amounts of emotion and history things get skewed so much don't they just in in an instant that's the thing about family relationships i did an episode with clover stroud about the sister relationship but how someone in your family can look at you in a certain way and that just triggers a whole load of things from nowhere and often with um families the, there's so much history there that, that even a, a current situation is actually being in, informed by a dinner time that you've had 20 years ago and and so yeah it, it's actually we're not very often living in a very present version of ourselves in those settings I don't think.
0: That's so beautifully put and and I agree And the, the story that came to mind was the Rossi family whose Three daughters and the wife, their their dad and her husband had died by suicide 40 years before. And the, you know, trauma isn't adaptive. And so the trauma had played out in gut wrench and heartache through the decades, through their lives and behaviours and difficulties that they had. Although they were a very loving family, there was a lot of kind of difficulty. And at the beginning, when the mother, who was incredibly brave, Sarah, was talking to us she said um they said mom something like you know you always react in a particular way and that kind of scares us and she said well I raised my eyebrow (laughs) and so it's like her raised eyebrow would send shivers through three adult you know 45 year old women 40 year old women who you know were parents themselves but that Mm. raised eyebrow would kind of ignite you know many previous stories that they'd had of her shouting at them or being angry with them and not because she didn't love them but because she was traumatized
1: wow and that yeah there's we can all relate to a version of that can't we about you know where the knives and forks are laid on the table or you didn't get me a glass of water or some really small things that just mean so much in families and And the problem is, I know my own family. You get so entrenched in it that that you begin, you you then skew your reality so badly that you know they would never see that eyebrow for any other thing other than what it represents to them. Exactly,
0: which is fear, and I've done something wrong, and help.
1: Wow, it's so visceral as well. Those kind of reactions, and I think all of your clients who have been prepared to sit step into a room together are so brave that really needs to be acknowledged you know I've done a lot of therapy individually and as a couple but the idea of putting my family in a room together and going for it because you're going to sit through possibly the most painful conversations you can have.
0: I mean I really cannot kind of say enough how grateful I am and You know, I I say in the book, these are stories, but actually these are people's individual lives. And they um, allowed me to step in and march about and ask questions and pull things out of them and raise questions and force them to face difficulties that they hadn't done ever before. Mm. And... You know, I just totally disguise them. So only they reading it would recognise it's them. So I've been very, you know, a big part mm-hmm. of the story writing is although the situation and all the quotes of verbatim, how I describe them is, a, is, yeah. is, is covered up, is, is, is not who they really are. Um, but they, what is also interesting, so they were amazingly courageous and yet when they read the case studies, that became part of the therapy, and they found that very affirming because it's okay. like having a, a third eye. It's like we were in the room doing the therapy, and that was like whew, quite hard work, quite painful, as you're saying, or very painful or very difficult. And then reading about it afterwards and reading my perception of how they were with each other and my take on it and the impact it had on me, They felt seen even more. And that felt very therapeutic and quite healing um, and very powerful. I mean, Archie, who was, um, he was this, he's still alive, wonderful Scotsman who has a life threatening diagnosis. He has a brain tumour. And he was told he was going to die last November. Um, When he, you know, I wrote the story. Uh, about him and his partner and his two adult children about his death. And he was estranged from his parents because they weren't able to cope with his diagnosis. Um, wow. he, his best friend said to him, he'd showed it to his best friend. His best friend said to him, everyone should have this. Everyone should have their story written about like this, that it makes such a difference.
1: But I think that's what's so amazing that, you know, every, as again per the the title of the book, that every every family has these wild stories, don't they? Everyone's got something extraordinary. And yeah, unless, unless they have the experience of having it documented, it, it just, yeah. It's, goes into the into that tree because at the beginning of for the listener at the beginning of each family story you've got the family tree which i just absolutely love looking at and trying to think of my own like that and you realize how much it's all we're all woven together aren't we but yeah these these stories that exist behind closed doors are fascinating aren't they they're so fascinating and they you know the ordinary is extraordinary there wouldn't be a person
0: listening to this podcast who hasn't got something that happened in their family history, you know, Mm. a, a baby that died, a child that died, someone who went broke, someone who died by suicide, someone who was traumatized in the war, someone, you know, all of these different elements that so influence how we manage in our life. And kind of one of my messages from the book, and I'd love to know if this was true for you, was that often Um, people kind of think there's something wrong with me. And my message is, you know, there isn't something wrong with you. But look up, look at the generations before you Mm. at the stories and patterns of behavior Mm. that have not been told. And that, Mm. you know, the, the theory is, and obviously I believe it, is that, the, the difficulty and the pain from the difficulty, whatever that is, that hasn't been dealt with in one generation gets passed down to the next generation until someone is prepared to feel the pain. Because it's their behaviors. I mean, it may be epigenetically, you know, um, as well. So it may be through the womb. But it's also the things that you do to block pain are the very things that in the end do you harm. And that those patterns, we learn. It's
1: so fascinating. I'm sitting here thinking of um, my paternal grandmother who isn't alive anymore, sadly. But I i don't like staying up late and I get very over- overwhelmed if I'm in massive social occasions. And I've only realised recently that she used to very actively kick everybody out. <laughs> She'd be like, time for everybody to leave now. Off you go. And I see it in my dad and I was like, oh, wow. I she came across as a very strong together woman but I'm wondering if she felt a lot of the same things of this overwhelm and yeah that she she'd worked very hard to make lovely family um, meals but that there was a very finite ending on it and it yeah you she, <laughs> she she would never have been able to I wouldn't have expected her to have been able to articulate like anxious feelings because it it was at odds as how she presented but i i now always wonder if that was going on and it's amazing isn't it? it it is amazing like from your grandmother to your dad
0: to you and you know her generation didn't have a language for emotion they didn't have any psychological insight or research or knowledge all they knew was that you had to um you know forget and move on like just put on a good show and that was the only choice they have i mean i think we often look back at them with some kind of criticism or um like they weren't doing it right but actually they she was probably the grandchild the child or the grandchild of someone who fought in the first world war maybe her parents or her partner had fought in the second world war they had no luxury to say i am feeling this they're only um offer was to survive multiply and move on was to keep going and they did it Mm. damn well
1: yeah i mean i've got full admiration um yeah it's very kind of stoic way of being but yeah you do wonder what the what the i mean feelings just would not have been in the dialogue but there, there must have been of course loads of road of feelings and depending on what you think about star signs she's a pisces as i am which are extremely emotionally um tuned in and again it I wonder how much of that was there. What I find interesting as well is that we're very quick to um, draw out positive attributes from generations. Everyone's like, oh, look, she really reminds me of them or he reminds me of them, but we find it and we observe those quite readily, I think. But, yeah, we we are quick to um, brush under the carpet the more challenging parts, and you're so right, they will just continue to to go from generation to generation unless we lean into them a bit, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I think that's such a good point. And you know, my understanding is that what we don't face, we can't fix. You know, and I don't mean fix as a simple thing like you know putting on a, you know, a, a, <laughs> fixing a broken plug or something. But we we need to come to terms with the things that are very difficult. And when we turn our face away and are in denial of them. They, they're like these ghosts of the nursery. They come and haunt us and influence us unconsciously and consciously in every aspect of our lives. And so it really helps in the same way as expanding your stories of you know, the generation you're in as a family of siblings or with your parents, expanding your story of you know, what happened to you in the past and dealing with it now it protects yourself but also, it protects the next generation, so that you don't hand down onto them what has been hand down, handed down to you.
1: Yeah, I think that sometimes is the the well. For me, a lot of the work I've done on myself I found easier to do because because I feel responsible to my children than as a as a gift to myself, and it is, ends up being a byproduct of it. But this is the challenging thing, isn't it? We know what a huge deal this is we know that as parents we are shaping our children's future but yet then you're in this this tension with the fact that unpicking generational difficulties or challenges or trauma is also as big and as terrifying and so you're left in this place where you go I'm so overwhelmed by the the premise of this that it's very easy just to plow on
0: yeah I mean and I think you know, this isn't something that you should do in one like get a spade and start digging and, and make an enormous hole. This is a small, micro step. Like begin to have conversations with the with your parents or your aunts and uncles or family from or friends or family from that generation, so that in small ways, in the pub, you know, over supper, on a walk, so that you inch by inch hear an expanded version of what you know for now and also to kind of begin it again in a small way it's always small steps it's never these huge um, acts of 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 um, behavior that you want to change because they're impossible if you do it too big because you will always spring back like an elastic band to your kind of default mode of coping is to think about the aspects in yourself that you find difficult. So what is your tendency? So mine is to go to denial. I hate bad news. I absolutely hate, like everybody does. But, you know, I and my first response, despite decades of therapy, is I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to distract myself because I do not want to know. But then, you know, I mean, the bigger it is, the longer it takes me to turn towards it and examine it. But eventually, you know, my my knowledge and like my third eye says, okay, you know, I wake up one morning and it's like, okay, I've got to do the work of this. I need to find out more or feel about it, talk about it, um, write it down, journal it begin to work out what this means to me, what I'm feeling about it, what are my options, how do I respond to this, and that that incrementally I adapt to this bad thing that I didn't want over time. And the single biggest thing that will support me is my relationship with myself, that I am self-compassionate and I turn to myself with kindness, but also the love and connection of others. And I think what was difficult about, say, my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation is they didn't seek support. They just literally, Mm -hmm. you know, battened down the hatches and, like Mm -hmm. you said, sort of marched on. And actually what helps us is when we turn to our partner. I mean, yesterday I had a – day before yesterday I had a difficult day and I just made him hold me (laughs) for, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 minutes. And he kept on trying to let me go and I just – (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, not, <done>. not yet.
0: <laughs> I didn't need any words. I just needed no. something to bring down the gears and to ground me. Down, to grind me. And mm. um, then I began to feel better. And then I began to be able to talk about it. Because the thing is, when you're in the kind of red zone of fight, flight or freeze, the way that you're wired, you disconnect from yourself. And you just look for danger and whether you're going to fly or fight or kind of be, Mm -hmm. you know, the moro reflex frozen. And so your coping behaviors are never about the things that you actually need at that point. They're about how the hell do I get out of here? How do I sort myself out? And so that you need to breathe and bring yourself to a kind of calmer place that then you have the Left side of your, the right side of your brain, responding more intelligently, connecting with yourself, emotions transmitting information, and then that gives you more data about how to effectively respond. But when you stay in um, code red, you make terrible decisions because you're going to do yeah. anything to kill the fucker or or run. <laughs> yeah. And that, always, and that isn't always and no. that isn't always
1: better, doesn't always serve you that well. But I think these are something really interesting in relation to being held by your partner, and I think it relates to his family things. This isn't always about finding you're not gonna find an, a neat little answer that like unpicks generations of, of struggles or you know, triggers, but it's beginning able to come at them with compassion and kind of ground yourself enough to not go for the reflex reaction in th- in situations isn't it completely
0: and to know what both to know what your triggers are to know what your default coping mechanism is and then to know and to allow it you can't i can't change that there's nothing is ever going to make me want to be okay with it i just will never will um but then to know what can i do given that that's my first response you know you're you get the bad arrow, and it's your what you do with that bad arrow that predicts your outcome, mm. and how you support mm. yourself, what you behave—you know, not what you behave, how you behave, what you do to seek support—that will will be a, a massive predictor of your outcome.
1: Yeah, and and you. So often, and and it's what your kids are witnessing. You know, they're they're seeing versions of that all the time, aren't they? And what we know about parenting is children reduce us down. You know, especially I'm at the point I've got very young children. They reduce us down to our most basic version of ourselves. You you know, who I've got friends who are just about to become parents, and it's like the idea of the parent you think you're going to be is You're not going to be it. And I think what the the really extraordinary thing about the very first years of parenting is suddenly all this, you know, you might think you have a good relationship with your parents, but suddenly I don't know what happens, but it all comes out of the woodwork, doesn't it? So you're simultaneously trying to navigate your own, yeah, your own relationships with them whilst trying to parent for the first time. I, mean, I can see you
0: sh- shaking your head. It like... extraordinary,
1: it's an extraordinary like, thing that happens. And, uh, yeah, I can feel like I'm the other side of it and I parent as me now as much as possible. But it's, it's definitely a, a really challenging thing to navigate. It really, really
0: is. And I love you saying you're never the version of the parent that you think you're going to be. So there's this sort of picture book version, isn't there, you know, that... You're going to be kind of gliding through life with a baby on your boob, and the, the, the linen is going to be done, and you're going to be serving marvelous meals, and you're going to be just so loving and and kind. And your reality is you're sleep deprived. You haven't even had a chance to go to the loo. You will eat anything mm-hmm. just to kind of have food in your system, and Literally you hate anyone. It in yeah, crabbing, and you hate anyone who's had more sleep than you, which is virtually everyone. And yeah. So, you know, it pushes all of your buttons, all your relational buttons, your buttons of your relationship with your mum and dad, with yourself, with your partner, parent of your child, and with your child. And of course, relational buttons are the kind of hot wire buttons that yeah. <laughs> we can't really control. So I think one of my messages in the book is that of course children learn from how we behave and not what we do. But also this idea that we're always on a spectrum of functioning and dysfunctioning. And, mm. you know, it is such a, I can't think of I was going to say killer, but that's not the right word. It's such an anathema to think you're going to have this perfect family. And that is such a cruel kind of awful um, implement to use on yourself is, yeah. you know, I, I really think the Winnicott term good enough is an absolute miracle in families, that you're going to be a good enough mm. um, family. So I was talking okay. to, to my daughter yesterday, and I was saying that people have been asking me about myself as a parent. And of course, I did <laughs> masses of mistakes, and I feel guilty, and I take responsibility. And <laughs> she... She was really a she remembered some of the things I did, like when I was teaching her sister um, French, I threw the book at her) so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've all got versions of that. My family's always revolved around Monopoly. There are many times of the Monopoly board being Tip-tap. lobbed. <laughs> I remember
0: I remember my daughter, that same daughter playing um drafts with me and she was winning and I tipped the thing up. I mean I just I look at myself and I think what what was what were you thinking?
1: But isn't it interesting? This a little aside that I have my children, one of my children flicks my switches in an utterly irrational way, and it, it, it's not a comment on them. No. It's like, oh, wow, he, he he sends me somewhere very, very quickly. And it's just like, uh, yeah, it's really disarming, to be honest, when when they do that. You know, you, you would never expect to be throwing a, a French book. But I'm, I'm laughing because <laughs> yeah. we've all done versions of that. Oh, Awful God. things. You're like, oh, this, this is not what I pictured. Anyway, no. what did she say about that to your daughter? Well, she was... She-
0: and I and I was saying, um, you know, I find it kind of difficult, A, a talking about them when it, this is me kind of talking about me. And she was really loving. And she she said, you know, there's nothing you can say about me that I'll mind about. And, um, you know, and then she was very loving, gave me kind of a really loving text. And so that feels like, I mean, I cried when I got it because... You know, she's 38 now. And I guess my message is you, we make mistakes, but as long as we repair after the injury, as lo- mm-hmm. you know, there's always rupture. We get cross mm-hmm. with each other. We make mistakes. Families force us to face versions of ourselves we didn't know existed and certainly mm-hmm. never wanted. And where we love most, we hate most and become, you know, terrible versions of ourselves but Mm. it isn't about that it's about repairing it and Mm. acknowledging it afterwards and properly understanding what went on and communicating it with each other and allowing for all the bad things and also Mm. knowing that the intention is to be loving and good and that we fuck up Mm. (laughs) basically
1: yeah that Yeah, if you do things from a place of love, it doesn't give you a kind of, uh, yeah, a not blanche to do what you like. But I do think that is really centering to go, as my intentions are, because I love this human and I want to give them the best upbringing I can. I hope that within reason, that is your centre point.
0: Yeah, and it's
1: that are all flawed. <laughs> yeah. And I think, interesting, as you're saying, it's a rupture and repair. I wonder whether we find that, so disarming because there wasn't as much rupture in previous generations as we're saying you just brush under carpet you keep going so our version of um, things working is just never ever rupture but actually what we know is that's all happening under the surface but you know I think for my parents it'd be fair to say that they would find the idea of rupturing something in a big conversation very very difficult whereas I hope that that's the big shift we we can we can have these challenging conversations and come back from them. Completely, and you know,
0: I mean, maybe your parents are like, well, like my parents was that what you don't talk about isn't going to hurt you. Like, yeah. never talk about it's the things madness. that matter, and always <laughs> talk about the things that literally don't matter at all.
1: <laughs> isn't that wild? And you, and you can end up having these conversations where you're like, what are we talking about? Because we're all feeling something so different but that's a really interesting observation where you can often then feel short changed because it's just like we know that what we're just going through the motions of something here yeah and that that is very it, I mean it makes you feel like you're a
0: bit mad or are you yes. overreacting or <sighs> what are you missing or what the fuck <laughs> you know what what is going on and I and so that thing that again I hope comes through in the book, is just naming what your perception of what you're seeing and what you're feeling is happening and doing it with the people that you care about most mm-hmm. has an enormous capacity to can reconnect us after there's been a misunderstanding or a rupture or that you're suffering. And that then our family is our safe place to go back to Mm. and heal our Mm. wounds and lick our wounds and be difficult, you know, because when we're suffering, you know, hurt people hurt people. So Mm. me, all of us, we are not the best versions of ourselves when we're going through something difficult. We lost our job or we have a health diagnosis. We don't become, you know, St. Teresa. We, We become often because we're scared and we're angry, we become difficult and demanding. And so our friends are a bit scared of us. They tend to back off or they send little text messages, you know, saying, let me know if there's anything I can do. And it's really our family, if we're lucky enough to have family around us or the family that we've created through friendship, that are the people that need to hold us steady when our world Mm. has gone off filter and that we are being very difficult. Um, but they support in- us with that, not despite it.
1: Yeah, what I'm wondering when you're talking is whether actually there's as well a thing where we need to let people be in their very difficult, unattractive, horrible versions of themselves, because I think there's, again, a real tendency to try and fix that. Like going going back to the analogy with your partner and asking him just to hug me. I don't need a solution. I'm 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 progressing to the solution myself eventually, hopefully. No. But we're very quick to, uh, you know, you shouldn't feel angry. You shouldn't feel sad. Actually, I really do feel angry and sad and cross and and yeah, it's not it's not to be solved. It's just a bit to sit sit alongside.
0: To be allowed, yeah, and to yeah. sit alongside. Be beside me, yeah. Listen to me. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, I always when my kids are being the most, uh, you know, unhinged and <laughs> if, if they're upset and wound up, I found that if I just say give them a hug and say, I'm here, I'm here over and over again. I can f- literally feel their nervous systems kind of drop. It's like, I'm not going to tell you it's OK or not to feel this. I'm just here with you as you feel whatever you feel, however long that takes to, to come back to yourself. And I think that's really what a found yeah what, what we all need in our families don't we to yeah to support us in our to be allowed <laughs> to be sad and distressed and cross mm. and confused and to let
0: you know emotion as I said before is a transmitter of information and it's there to give us information to then be voiced so then we can work out what we do with it and that when we mm. block that emotion so if you'd said to your one of your children don't be sad, don't be cross which most of us were told, like th- that cuts off yeah. the, the whole but kind I am. Of emotional <laughs> intelligence. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm not sad. So then I'm, what am I? And you yeah. lose connection with yourself. And then you lose what your needs are. You can't get your needs met. And then that can lead to all sorts of, you know, on the far end addiction, um, mental illness, because your internal authenticity has been kind of sent on a haywire kind of um confusion and then you've got nothing that you can when you turn into yourself that you can hold on to that you trust and you lose trust mm. in your basic self and that is a very frightening place to be
1: yeah and it's as simple as that isn't it these it, this is again the the terrifying thing about parenting you aren't you aren't damaging your kids in in the big life events that happen. It's in those tiny, tiny small interactions, and as you say, how you react to them then when they're emotional and also what I'm trying to work on is when I, because I am very in touch with my emotions, trying not to hide those that from my children either. you know they've seen me cry a lot, and that isn't something that I'm embarrassed or ashamed or something to be worried about. I don't want it to become the equivalent of the eyebrow like see you see <laughs> mummy cried it not mean that anything terrible is happening I'm just feeling some feelings yeah and um there's a big shift isn't it that is a big shift
0: and I that I feel very hopeful for your children's generation but actually you know I'm 62 so if I look at Gen Z um now you know they have been on the front lines of forcing us to look at their emotions, to allow them to feel, to name their grief, to name their worry about um, the environment and climate change. And, you know, we may shout at them or my generation may shout at them that they're woke or that they're kind of oversharing. But actually, (laughs) they have an emotional intelligence that that we don't have and that we Mm. really need to listen to them and pay attention and allow them Mm. their voice because their voice is really important.
1: And it's—I mean—there's so much truth in that. With children, they name the stuff they feel. They name the stuff they think. They—they they don't know to conform, and—and and then it's—it's it's utterly on ourselves. And we go, "Oh, you're a bit too frank." But <laughs> it, we all—if we all, you know—you have to learn to be polite and not hurt people's feelings. But actually, their intention never is based on that. And yeah, we just realize how much we've been, yeah cultured to to shut our mouths in situations when you don't need to and honesty is not complicated so like if if your
0: son's saying to you mum you're being horrid to me that that is very straightforward it's like you do not want to (laughs) hear it but it's like oh
1: I am you're (laughs) probably right
0: (laughs) yeah
1: um and yeah and what we what we don't do is go no you're not no I'm not you're wrong well you're not feeling that so I've got to listen suck it up yeah Yeah. it's fascinating so as we wind towards the end I'm trying to think because it can as we've acknowledged feel really overwhelming but there's some really wonderful things in the book that that can help you know in the right direction not as far as going into family therapy but I can't remember what the what the framework is but even if we know about our family history as in where our parents met where our grandparents are from that that it can be a real stepping stone. I absolutely love that.
0: It's called the Do You Know Scale and it, there's a, a link to it on the back of the book. And yeah, it's so interesting. The research showed that people who knew more about their family history, was like where their grandparents were born, what their parents, where they met, all of the stories that informed them that they have more confidence and a sense of agency in the world because I guess they have all the pieces of the jigsaw that makes them who they are—they know those pieces—and it's often the pieces of the jigsaw that are missing that obsess us, that slightly drive us mad. So the more stories we know, then we have re- that grounds us. It really kind of gives us um, a foundation of of our sense of identity and belonging, and what tribe I'm part of, and that I am loved and I am safe.
1: Adore that. And I, I'm thinking that we spend an awful lot of time now bit having access to other people's lives on a huge scale through social media. But wouldn't it be amazing if we put a little bit of that energy into knowing the people who we are deeply connected with and and, and delving into that? I think that would be such a, a gift to each of us and really interesting and important, especially the older generation. They they love the opportunity to be able to share those stories. We just are out of the habit of asking about it, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's such a good point. I hadn't really thought of it like that. But yeah, we can, you know, we can scroll down Instagram looking at people that we are never going to meet and really should have <laughs> no reason to be remotely interested in <laughs>
1: and um
0: and yet know everything about, you know, where they buy their clothes and, you know, how many kids they've got. And we don't even, I mean, one of the stories in the book, um, the mum was saying you can be in your family and not know the people in your own family because you've just had this set of assumptions and the story you're telling yourself, which isn't, isn't actually the bigger story, which is all of your story. It's a collective story. And so I think that, that can be transformational for families.
1: Hmm. I'm thinking she's speaking. My granny S- Sally died in twenty twenty, aged hundred. My maternal oh, wow. grandmother. hundred, amazing. Wait, wow. um Yeah, she saw a yeah. lot. And yeah, she saw a lot. Um she actually died in the February before COVID, which I feel really relieved about, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um but but um when we went and um had a ceremony for her last year, my mum was talking about what she was like in her thirties my granny and it's like oh yeah I knew her as an old lady and apparently she was basically a bit of a flirt <laughs> and that she would have a terrible twinkle in her eye whenever, whenever ever ever any memory around it's like oh I'm, it's so nice to try and think of that person because again in the latter stage of people's life you get these imprints of someone who they've become but I was like oh I really like to have hung out with that version of my granny I think she would have been really fun I mean, yeah, And maybe she's in thing. you you know the, yeah, so she isn't just the knitting
0: granny. Yeah. But she's the flirting sassy yeah. energetic one who kind of likes a flirt and likes to dance yeah.
1: and... and that's really important isn't it because we we end up becoming very certain versions of ourselves through the experience of, of life and and everything that it brings us but um yeah i certainly i'm, I'm 40 on sunday so oh. i'm in a bit of a life life transition moment and a milestone um, a real milestone, and um, I mean, this is a bit woo woo, but I spoke to an astrologist on um Monday, and she said that the key to the next chapter of your life, Clemmy, is going back to the childhood version of yourself and remembering who you are. And, Lovely, and, yeah. And my daughter, my who's four, I I see a lot of myself in her, and I just keep thinking, and actually, I see my granny in her. so It's like. What would Greta do in this situation? How? What spirit would she come at this with that hasn't been clouded by, you know, the last forty years? And and I think that's just such a gift. And and I think that kind of all loops back into it, isn't it? You can you can bring the amazing generational things, um, into you, as well as the complicated stuff. Completely.
0: And you know, at the end of the book, I did this um, set of twelve touchstones for the well-being of family. And one of those touchstones was to have fun as a family. And you saying that made me think of that, is that you can be your four-year-old self with your four-year-old daughter and Mm. kind of let go of the kind of adult that has to kind of be on it all the time, but really let yourself, I don't know, dress up and dance with her, play with her, paint with her, skip with her, sing crazily in the kitchen with her and be the fun version of you that, mm-hmm. you know, is in her and is in you. And that the, the multiplying kind of bonus effect on the energy in the whole family when you can do that mm-hmm. is such a gift to all of you that you feel like you've had like 10 years therapy just by a bit of skipping in the kitchen.
1: And and actually, for all the bits when we don't want to throw French books or Monopoly boards at. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. it, but you also, ha- I like. I feel like I, it's a very good call to myself to say, "What would Greta do?" I have to kind of nudge myself to to connect to that part of me because you are you are so wound up in packing the dishwasher, remembering all the things. But if you can. As as well as worrying about trying to be a positive influence, just kind of be more, more fun. It yourself, that does get be you more a long yourself, way. More and more I can yourself.
0: see. Even I've never met you, but I can see that that fun part of you is a, a kind of sparkly, bright part that really wants to have a place, right?
1: yeah I wore yesterday I went out for dinner for my birthday and I was putting on some bits of jewelry and I was like Greta would just put on all this jewelry so I literally basically put my entire jewelry box on and I'm going out for dinner for my 40th birthday with my mum and stepdad it's like wear the jewelry wear the jewelry what what, when when is the right day to wear your whole jewelry box if you don't put it on now yeah
0: like Like, go for it Yeah. yeah it's so
1: fun you don't need to yeah, and I think there's yeah, and I, and I yeah, as I say, I see that from my granny, the the sparkly-eyed naughty thirty-year-old. So, oh, yeah, I don't really know why I'm talking about this, but it, it, it yeah, it can all be a gift if you if you work hard to pick out the bits that you want to carry on and lean into the bits that you ought to try and unpick a bit, I suppose. And you know, again, going back to the touchstones, one of the things I suggested was to make
0: habits rituals. So in your family, there is probably a ritual around birthdays that we have dinner together, we celebrate, we mark important days. And that's so important, having these rituals that kind of externally represent what is actually invisible. So that, you know, you can you will go back and you know the body remembers the body holds the school when you're 80 you'll be able to go back and remember you dressed up like a Christmas tree on your 40th birthday having fun with your mom and your stepdad kind of chan- uh, channeling is that word um, mm-hmm. your grandmother and that will keep you alive and sparkly at 80 you know that those memories stay alive in us that love that we have, mm. even when someone dies, stays alive in us. And those rituals are such a wonderful way to embody that.
1: Oh, emotional, this is gonna get me. It's it's so true, isn't it? And yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very profound, I think. When I um actually particularly after my daughter, who's my third child, when I had her, I really had this very Strong visceral sense of the lineage that I just kind of created the next step of, and it's only in usually in birth and in death when you have that. Oh my word, I, I get it. I get where this belongs. But the the more we can hold on to that, I think it, I think there's a real superpower in it.
0: There is a real superpower in it, and the sort of connection with ourselves, with ourselves and our families, our children, our grandparents, our parents is a superpower and that those connections connecting with their community and the kind of networks of people around them, that is where you get real kind of superpower as, as, a, as a people, as humanity, because mm. we are wired to connect, to dance, to play, to flirt, to eat, to cry, to move, to hug, to fight. And we need mm. the people around us, all of those different people, in order to be able to do that. Mm. I'm
1: going gonna, I'm gonna to wind it up there because I think that's a beautiful place to end. But I do always ask, ask two more questions. First of all, where can people find you? Um, and this is a chance to do a real good plug of the book, which I think we've done because it is brilliant. Where can people get the book?
0: So thank you for that. So people can find me on Facebook and Instagram, and I have a website www.juliasadmiral.co.uk. My book is in all good independent bookshops coming out um, on March the 17th. And you can pre order on Amazon. And thank you for enjoying my book. It just, you know, when you're writing a book, it's such an insular, private thing. And you never know what, how people are going to receive it. So hearing that you really like it is a, is a big thing for me.
1: Ah, uh, I mean, yeah, well done, you. It's it's really brilliant. I mean, I've read your other books as well, but I, yeah, there's something I about think... a family that is feels very untapped. But um, yeah, it's brilliant. And one last question: if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be, and what would you say?
0: Oh, I think it would be with my father, who's been been dead about eight years. And my question to him is, how much did you know?
1: Wow. <gasps> wow. I mean, that's like, what a brilliant question. <laughs> but there's so many versions of those questions hanging in people's lives, aren't there?
0: That I never asked. Well, I didn't even think to ask. No. So it's, it's a shame. It's gone now. They've all gone. So while yeah, people are alive, talk to them now ask them. is my message. Yeah, ask them.
1: Yeah, and you know what? It's easier said than done, but however difficult those conversations are, they're better than the unanswered question. You, yeah.
0: You're haunted by regrets. You're not haunted by daring Can... to have the difficult conversation.
1: No, no. I'm really trying to practice that in myself because I, I try and profess honesty and difficult conversations and I do it well in a professional setting. But it's really hard privately. You know, it's really hard to sit there through those challenging conversations and all your nervous system goes. As you say, you go into the that red zone and have very irrational thoughts. But the more you do it, the more practiced you become at it, the less your nervous system goes. And the more things that could could fester and become issues and and ruin relationships can actually be resolved yeah. through a, a difficult 20 minutes. And that you might
0: find that what you've assumed and made up in your head would be the reaction is absolutely not the reaction. It might be that someone's relieved to finally tell the truth and that you're willing to listen and want to know. Yeah,
1: um, being being heard is is... Such a gift, isn't it? It's, I always think that when my kids are dilly dallying at bedtime and just literally firing every question they've ever thought of, but actually, and I know, and you're thinking, I'm really hungry. I just want to get downstairs and have dinner. Um, but actually, they they just they just want your undivided listening ears for five ten minutes, don't they? Yeah,
0: and to give them,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been um, yeah, no matter. Uh, rewarding an emotional conversation I definitely feel like I've got this whole thing you know when everything you're doing begins to align to similar versions of themes coming up uh, what's going on well,
0: well I'm fascinated that you spoke to me at such a significant milestone day that you're 40 you know you can't pretend you're not a grown-up anymore and, no I know it's huge but but reminding yourself to play and be young it's like a wonderful spot to be in and I've loved our conversation, Clemie. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, so have I. It's been really, uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite profound. I've had, yeah, three of these <laughs> profound conversations recently, which have just been like, Clemie, whatever's happening. So, yeah, depending on what you believe in astrology, she said to me, you're a year and a half into a three-year, everything about you changing. And she's like, you won't recognize yourself in a year and a half but go into the cave don't be scared of the cave and sit there and you'll you'll feel yeah whoever you are in a year and a half you'll be like thank goodness for that I, I would add to make
0: ensure that you support yourself and seek support to manage that
1: yeah yeah she did say um, cuz i was in therapy last year did emdr therapy which was oh, wow. brutal. i'm i'm
0: a qualified emdr therapist
1: yeah and then i just magic. yes I did a I did nine months of it and then I've had six months off because I felt like I needed to Whew, let my that's brain off. Yeah. Settle. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And not spend once one day a week crying for an hour. And now and now I probably I'm ready to go back to that place. But it just oh, um, wow. not back to EMDR, I think I, I think yeah. I've dealt with a trauma. Yeah. Good news. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. It's all family related, and I'm going to see all my family this weekend. So, if I can get to Monday without losing my losing my shit, then something will have worked. Done. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Just go slow. Remember to breathe. Time out for yourself. Yeah, that's. Um, so it's my actual birthday on Sunday, and I said to Ben, I'm going, my husband. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go for half an hour walk in the woods, ground myself, and then I'll be. Then I'll be the daughter and mother that I should be on my birthday rather than being nice not very nice so thank you uh, well that one got a bit personal I feel like I um, definitely let you into some of my neurosis particularly around my birthday and how I deal with that and and stuff to do with my family and it, at this point I get that massive vulnerability hangover it's like well should I have said that should I be letting people know but I always find it useful when other people share and also to shine a light on the fact that there is no such thing as this happy, perfect family. Everyone's got stuff going on behind closed doors, whether in their immediate family or generationally. And I think it's really important to normalize that. I feel really lucky to have been able to have this conversation with Julia. She is a woman with much wisdom. Um, Yeah, it felt like a really great therapy session, but also, as I say, a reminder that we often think about the impact that we as parents have on our children but it might be easy to forget that things can be passed down through families and to bear that in mind to look at the patterns in your parents in your grandparents even in your in your great-grandparents and how that might be showing up in the way things are happening in your immediate family I would love to get my whole crew in a therapy room but I think it's quite a terrifying concept. It, it's, it's definitely something I've got admiration for, for each of Julia's clients and all the ones featured in her book. It would be a hugely therapeutic thing to do, but wow, all the stuff would come out of the woodwork, wouldn't it? So probably leave that for another day. Thank you so much for being here. Please join me next week for another episode of But Why. I am actually recording this in the evening and I'm now gonna go and try and persuade my children to go to sleep. The average is that I will come up and downstairs about 5 times so let's see if we can beat that. Thanks very much. Goodbye.